0: like you to turn to the 11th chapter of Romans. Thank God. We're going to talk about worship tonight. We're going to talk about worship, and I think that's a good thing. I, it would be a mistake for you to, to narrowly define worship as that part of the service where we sing, or even more narrow, that part of the, song, the part of the service where we sing slow songs. That's, you know, that could be your definition of worship. I know that the definition in the church has been changing to reflect Uh, A biblical definition of worship. Uh, When we sing to God, that's a form of worship. You know that, right? But that's not the only form of worship. Your life is meant to be lived as worship. Your life is lived as a song. Your life is lived as a prayer. Your life is lived as, as an offering and a sacrifice to God. And thank God He has enabled us to every day, every day of the year, every moment of the day, to be a pleasing sacrifice to Him an offering of worship, that your life can be worship. Your life is worship. Isn't that wonderful? Thank God. In Romans chapter 11, we're going to start with the end of it because really where we're headed is Romans 12. But, I, you know, when, when a chapter starts out with therefore, you, you should probably take the hint and read what came before, right? <laughs> or else it's an incomplete thought. You know, you start out and you go, because of everything I just said, I want you to do this. If you start with that, you kind of miss the point, don't you? <laughs> so what's he saying there for? for? In ver- chapter 11, and we'll start in um, verse 32. Um, chapter 11 has been speaking of, of the Jews and the Gentiles being chosen, accepted by God. And, and he's saying, is this fair? And probably not. But who are you to tell God it's not fair? <laughs> he says, God has uh, shown mercy to all of us. And it, it really is such a wonderful thing that, that he overlooked, that, it, as, as Paul said in the book of Acts, he overlooked the times, the, the times of ignorance, the times of disobedience, and he renewed these, these nations that were far from him, brought them close to him, and we all got to be part of the same family. As Jesus said to his disciples in John 10, I've got sheep which are not of this fold, but I'm going to call them, and they're going to come, and we're all going to be part of one fold. Thank God. Part of one fold. In Romans eleven thirty two it says, For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he might show mercy to all. Does that mean God made you disobedient? No, it doesn't. It means he, he, he gave you, he showed you that you were disobedient. He showed you that in yourself there, there was no good thing. that no, None were righteous, no, not one. That each one needed salvation. He said, I've shown you you're all disobedient. I've, I've demonstrated you're all disobedient. I, I left you with no way out other than just to receive my mercy. And he says he wanted to do this so he could show mercy to all. In verse 33, it says, Oh, the depths, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, the depth and the ri- a depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You know, the wisdom and knowledge of God is their riches to you. They're, they are your treasure, they are, more than anything else, you treasure these things. He says, oh, the depths of them. He said, how unsearchable are his judgment. Unfathomable are his ways. Now, you look, there's exclamation marks there. He's excited about the fact that some things are unsearchable and unfathomable. Typically, people are like, eh. You know, I, I mean, they, they might say, oh, his ways are unsearchable. His ways are unfathomable. You know, you, you kind of say, oh, you, maybe you said that about your spouse. I just can't figure them out, you know. Here, he's not saying, I just can't figure God out. But he's saying, I, he, he's saying it was greater than I ever realized. He says, There's, it's deeper than I ever thought I, I could imagine. He says, his, his, his depth of his wisdom and his knowledge are so much further than ours. And he's happy about it. Because this is good news. God's smarter than you. Thank God. He says this, How unsearchable are His judgments, unfathomable His ways. For Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become His counselor, or who has first given to Him, that it might be paid back to Him again. For from Him, now this echoes something we've read several times in Colossians, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. From Him... Through Him and to Him are all things. Very similar to what we've read in Colossians. It says by Him, for Him, and through Him. Same thought here. Everything starts with Him. Everything ends with Him. And everything is done through Him. So thank God as believers, every good thing in your life starts with Him. Every good thing in your life is for Him. And every good thing in your life is done completely and totally through Him. Thank God. So everything in your life, and we'll get to this in a moment, but think about it. Every good thing you ever do for the Lord doesn't start with you. It's not your idea. It's like David said. Now, this is the true, this is the true heart of worship. We're going to get in the next chapter, he's going to talk about our lives as worship. But I want you to think about worship for a moment. Think about it in song for a moment. When we talk about praise and worship, what does the Scripture say? The Scripture says, out of the mouths of babes, into the mouths of babes, you have ordained praise, which means you put it there. David said several times, he put a new song in my mouth. So right worship starts with God. Right worship is not you coming up with something to say to him. Right worship starts with him. He puts it in you. He ordains praise in you which means that he puts the very words he wants to hear. David said, as they take the grand offering, the great offering for the temple, David gets up and he prays and he says, Lord, he says, I don't know who we are to give you such a good offering. Isn't that a funny thing? He's like, thank you for letting us give a big offering to you. He says, for every good thing, comes from your hand he says we're just strangers and sojourners on this planet but you've given us this stuff so we could give it back to you and he's like thank you for letting us give to you thank you for giving us something to give back to you isn't it wonderful so he says even there every every act of worship every sacrifice every offering begins with him does not start with you. You're not the initiator. You're not the one who says, oh, I finally have something to give to you. Here, I'm just going to work something up so I've got something to give. No, 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 no. Every good thing starts with him. Every good thing ends with him and every good thing has him all through the middle through him. And it's just accomplished by his strength and his power. So he initiates worship. He initiates praise. It may seem like cheating, but he's God. I mean, who, who could come up with a song great enough for his presence and his glory but him? Who could come with an offering that was worthy of him except for him? Thank God. What a loving father. What a loving father. I grew up for a period of time till I got old enough to get my own money, which, you know, even when I had my own money at first, it was from my parents. When I got old enough to get a job, I could pay for my own gifts for my dad. But you know, it's a funny thing when your kids give you a gift, it's wrapped, and you know your credit card paid for it, and and you go thank you <laughs> to them. They went out and picked it out. It's very special, and they're 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 so happy to see you open it. They're happy to see your face when they when you open it. But you know that you paid for this, that it came from you, but but you're blessed because they were a part of it, and they're blessed because they got to see you. Uh, have open that present and be joyful and be pleased and so that's only a microcosm of what of the way God feels I mean yeah it's on his credit card he's he's the one that started it he's the one that gave it to you and yet he's so pleased when you offer it in faith and faith is the key in chapter 12 verse 1 he says therefore how great is his mercy how great is his wisdom his knowledge his judgments Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. See, he's talked about God's great mercy. He says, in in another translation, it says, in light of the mercy of God. Now that we've talked about the mercy of God, what do you do with that? He says, I I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. He doesn't say, I urge you, brethren, by the the strength of his fist. If you don't do this, you're going to get smacked. He doesn't say, I urge you, brethren, by the power of God. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, his great mercy... It just, it just cultivates a response in you. When you really look at his mercy and you stand in the light of his mercy, there is nothing but worship that comes out. It, nothing but good things when you're focused on him. He says this, in light and by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now you notice there's two things about that sacrifice. They're living and they holy. Living implies that it's going to be every day we're a sacrifice to him. It's not a one-time thing. I've heard several preachers say this. I don't know who said it first, but I've heard several preachers say one of the troubles with a living sacrifice is they tend to wiggle off the altar if you let them. <laughs> it's not a one-time thing where you just said, "I surrender all." You knelt at the altar and you said, "My life is yours." It may have begun with that, but every day of your life is a sacrifice to God. Here's the cool thing. It's a holy sacrifice, which means it's not just how good you are. It had to have something to do with the blood of Jesus, which made you clean and righteous and holy because you could not be good enough to be called a holy sacrifice without his help. Without, I shouldn't even say help, without his full doing. It says a uh, living holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. It's acceptable. It's pleasing to him. He, he likes it. He's proud. He's happy. He doesn't open the present and go, oh, really. He doesn't doesn't look at your life and go, well, they're trying. God bless them, they're trying. (laughs) I guess I'm God. Bless them, they're trying. No, it's acceptable to him. And you know what 1 Peter 2 says? 1 Peter 2 says that we are uh, living stones which build a house in which a holy priesthood, a spiritual people, which is us, offer spiritual sacrifices to God, which are made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You have to understand, certain sacrifices are unacceptable. What makes your sacrifice acceptable? Jesus, it goes through Him. Well, in the Old Testament, I believe it's Exodus twenty-eight. There is there is um, uh, ordinances and laws and how the priest was was to receive the, the sacrifices of the people. They'd bring sacrifices to God, but you know the sacrifices. Even, as good as that lamb was, as nice as that sheep was, as nice as that goat was, that sacrifice was not yet clean because the Bible says there, because it, it came in contact with sinful people, it, even just by touching sinful people, it became sinful. And so it's the, the, the priest would wear a, what's called a mitre, and, and it said holiness to the Lord on it. it. said holy to the Lord. And it says that was a symbol that as the priest stood in in, in, in direct intercession for the people and between the people and God, that because he had that, and because God was doing something through him that would look forward to what Jesus would do, that when those offerings, when those sacrifices were offered, because of that mitre, because of that holiness to the Lord, because of that, those sacrifices would then become clean and be acceptable to God. Now Jesus is our high priest. His sacrifice, his high priesthood means... That when you do something through him, he's the filter that makes it good. You do it like like we read in the last verse, when it starts with him, it's his idea. It goes through him, and so it's done through his strength, through his anointing, through his power, and it's done for him. Then, no matter how flawed your effort was, when it went through him, it became good and clean. You know, we don't always do things perfectly. We, I, I can, I'm going to tell you something, we pretty much never do things perfectly, but our, our life, our sacrifices are acceptable because Jesus made them acceptable. And here's what it says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is expected. This is your life. This is your worship. Worship is not about you getting a guitar out in your room and just singing. That is a form of worship. But that can't be where your worship starts or ends. Your worship has got to be every part of your life. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Isn't it funny? You got taken out of the world and totally changed and stuck right back into the world so you could be a light. And he says, here's what you need to watch out. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't start acting like everybody else. But be transformed. Conformed means you start to to mold and you start to act like everybody. But he says be transformed, which means totally changed. Having nothing to do. I mean, it doesn't look like who you used to be. Transformation means a complete change. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So your whole life is going to change when your thoughts line up with God's thoughts. And the scripture tells us one of the best ways to renew your mind is to get into the word. And it will wash your mind. Thank God. It says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. Do you know what it means that you'll prove? It doesn't just mean that you'll know it. It means that your life will be a demonstration of the will of God. Isn't that cool? That you're acting out the will of God. And it says, when you do it, it will be, His will is always good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Now, we've told you this several times, but in case some of you have heard, you know, there used to be a teaching that there were three different wills and that there was a good will, there was an acceptable there was a perfect will. And, you know, good was pretty good, acceptable was just passable, and perfect was his best plan for you. But that was, that's a real bad reading of this verse. <laughs> no offense, but that, that's really not what he's saying. He's saying his will is all three of those things. It's first good, which means it came from him, the source of good. It is, in essence, good no evil in it, no darkness in it it's good, it's light he says it's acceptable which means that when it comes back to God he accepts it, he's pleased with it Now, how did it become acceptable? through Jesus and it's perfect his will is perfect there's no flaw in it there's no sin in it it is just perfect, his will is always perfect, so look at this when we walk out the will of God we're walking out a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It is all those three things. Verse 3 says this. For through the get grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's a tough one. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Where did your faith come from? He gave it to you. Now, We're going to read the next few verses fairly quickly. I'm not going to stop. I I trust you're mature enough. You'll get it because there's some other things we need to talk about. But these verses are going to set the stage for it. So will you follow with me here? He says, it's just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Now, as we read these, I want you to remember, this is one letter, this is one thought. We're talking, we're still talking about worship. We're still talking about this living sacrifice here. So here's part of worship. Do you realize he gave you a function? Do you remember that he said, once again, it started with him, the Bible says you were created in Christ Jesus, For his good workmanship for good works, created for good works, which he has prepared. Sorry, you were created in Christ Jesus, his workmanship, created for good works, which he has prepared for you beforehand, that you may walk in them. So, once again, he's planned this out. And this is what you were created for. Now, he says he gave you gifts. Ephesians 4 says he, he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. So, he gave you gifts. And it says... Here's what you need to do. Your, part of your worship is to respond to the grace given to you. Notice it's grace given to you that exercises these gifts. It's not your skill. It's not your talent. It's not your willpower. It's the grace of God, which means it's His ability that works these things in you. Because none of us here, no matter how smart you are, no matter how, how how good you can read people, you can't prophesy unless God's speaking through you. Well, the same way, you can't serve properly unless He's... As, as, 1 Peter 2, uh, sorry, as 2 Peter says, unless you're serving in the strength that he gives. So here it says, since we have di- gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, and it says, if service in serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Still talking about worship. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Still talking about worship. Give preference to one another in honor. Still talking about worship. Not lagging behind the diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Still talking about worship. He says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. He says, Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, and we haven't finished talking about worship. You know, when you're hospitable to the people of God or to someone who needs it, you're worshiping God. You know, when you're giving to someone who has need, that's worship to God. Do you know when you're loving fervently, that's worshiping God? When you are refusing to get in strife, that's worship. That's a song you're singing to him. That's a a form of worship. Praise God. He says this, bless those who persecute you. Do it like you're worshiping God. Bless and do not curse. Did you ever think worship could come out of somebody being mean to you? Well, it certainly didn't come from them because God didn't cause them to do that. The Bible says that God can't tempt Nor can he be tempted with evil. So you can't say that God made me do it when you do something wrong. So God didn't cause them to to be evil towards you. But here's your response. You turn it around. and, And part of your worship is to bless those that hurt you. Bless those that are mean to you. Bless those that curse you. Bless those that persecute you. And this word persecute implies somebody that's hunting you down, that does not like you. That's not somebody that once did something bad. Perse- when it says persecute, this is somebody that is out to ruin you. Bless them and do it as worship. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, that's, like, that's good, isn't it? That means you're never jealous that they got something you didn't get. You rejoice, and that's worship. So rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind. So that's very the same, the same thought as uh, don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Wow. And that's worship. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never, never, never. Never, 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 never. There's not a loophole in this verse that I can find. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Not to anyone. There are no exceptions to this rule. If they've got flesh and blood, no exceptions. If, the, if it's the devil, he's not included in this. Everybody else, devil and demons, get, they're not part of this, but everybody else, every person is included in this. You don't get to take revenge. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, which means leave room for God to deal with it. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. But, now, just when you're about to get pumped up that He's about to destroy your enemies, He goes on and says this. Don't worry, God's going to get you. <laughs> Then he goes on and says, but if your enemy's hungry, feed him. I was getting all riled up, God, that I was going to feel good about you just blasting them to, the, to outer space. And all of a sudden you say, but if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Once again, worship. And if he's thirsty, give him. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, once again, if you read that wrong, you think, oh good, he's going to, his scalp is going to burn. But my interpretation of this, now you can judge by your own study of the Scripture. Best I've ever studied out is that this is referring to the old practice of putting ashes and coals on your head when you were repentant. When you regretted what you did, they put these coals, they put ashes on their head and show that they had repented, they would turn. And so in my interpretation of this, the point here is that by feeding and giving them something to drink, you've turned them from rebellion to repentance. You've, you've made them realize that they were wrong, but instead of owing you something, they're going to go to God and receive forgiveness. And you're going to have to, at many points in your life, be like Jonah. When you're all ready to see a show and Nineveh be destroyed, you're going to have to learn to rejoice that they were spared by the mercy of God. Because it's that same mercy of God that spared you. Do not be overcome by evil. How do I stop by being overcome by evil? It's all around me. It's so strong. Here's how to keep from being overcome. You overcome evil with good. Revenge doesn't work. Revenge does not work in the kingdom of God. The only way to overcome evil, the only way to withstand evil and keep from being overcome This verse seems to tell me you either are overcome by it or you overcome it. There's not really a middle ground here. It's either overcoming against you or you're overcoming against it. The difference will be good versus evil. Good always wins. Evil versus evil, you all lose. But good versus evil always wins. You want to overcome You respond with good. Now, notice that he said, your life is a living sacrifice, a response to the mercy of God, an act and a form of worship. And then he says, here's how you worship God practically in your life. Just in case you're wondering, how am I supposed to do that? Do I go around every day singing songs everywhere I go? There's nothing wrong with that. That's probably good. But what he's saying is there's a practical way that you can worship God with your life. Here's what you do. That's not the whole list, but it's a big one. If you'll do these things, these are parts of worship to God. And, and, And notice it all starts with that portion of faith that He gave you. Worship is tied to faith. It's... You can't remove it. It's tied with faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the biggest, form, the biggest part of worship is that it's acceptable. Do you notice how many times acceptable and pleasing have showed up in this chapter? Acceptable is important because let's think about the, the first offering that we ever read about in the Bible. What's the first offering we ever read about? First offering we ever read about is Cain and Abel. One of them was accepted one of them was not Bible says in Genesis, when they offered, now you know, Abel offered an animal, which had blood in it. Cain offered fruits and vegetables. Now, it's not that God is so carnivorous, and he doesn't like fruits and vegetables. He put them there. But, even though probably Abel Abel didn't have a good grasp on it, Abel didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to do when he'd come and shed his blood for us. He might not have understood the full concept of without the shedding of blood, there's no re- remission of sins. Maybe he got something when, when the first thing God ever did for Adam and Eve after they sinned was kill an animal and clothe them with the animal's skin, which was, a f- was really the first sacrifice that he made it himself. But Hebrews 11 sheds some light on Abel's sacrifice. We want to know why one got accepted and why one didn't. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. Obtained, he obtained the knowledge that his offering was acceptable and good to God. By faith. So the difference was it was by faith. Now, think about it here, because in Genesis, when he talks about Cain and Abel, he, God says, both Abel and his sacrifice are pleasing to me. And he says, both Cain and and his sacrifice are displeasing. So he didn't just reject the sacrifices. This, this was about the people that made the sacrifice. And because of, it all starts with the people, what you do has to be, begin with, with you, right? And who you are really needs to begin with him. And so, listen, it's, the difference was that Abel, Abel offered his in faith. What does that mean? Can, we, can I just ask you a question that I'm sure you know? Where does faith come from? Where... Uh, Faith comes from hearing, right? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing what? Hearing the word of God, right? That's where faith comes from. You can't have faith without knowing what God said. You really can't have faith that it's going, you know, you you can't have faith that it's going to rain tomorrow unless God said, okay, it's going to rain tomorrow. You can't just say, well, I have faith that that's going to happen. I mean, we rely, our faith comes from what God has said, what God's promised. That's how we have faith in anything. So how do I have faith I'm going to be healed? Because he said so. So that's why we have faith, right? So faith starts with what he says. So how did Abel have faith? Must have heard. Well, you think about this for a moment. You think about something. How did they even know to put something on an altar? Where would they get that from? it had to start with something, right? Now, we, whether, I'm, I'm sure Adam and Eve offered sacrifices. The Bible doesn't tell them they did, tell us they did, but I'm sure they did. I'm sure that they passed that on. Well, where'd they get it from? Somebody had to tell them to do this, right? You don't just naturally say, I'm going to put some vegetables on a stone and see what happens. I'm going to put an animal. I'm going to kill it. I mean, where do you come up with that stuff? I'm going to kill an animal and throw it on a rock and maybe burn it and see what happens. No, that's not a natural thought came from somewhere well God told them well I'm assuming because I'm you know we can sometimes say well boy Abel Abel was lucky he just happened to keep the animals and Cain happened to take care of the vegetables and poor Cain he missed out no Abel had faith faith comes by hearing right so we got to assume at some point Abel said God what do you want how would Abel have figured out the whole thing about the blood and the forgiveness hey it's new with this stuff where did he get it from? God told him. What did Cain do? He looked around and says, "What looks good? I'll offer this. This looks good. I'm sure those vegetables look nice. I'm sure the fruit look good." Do you know what? We see the difference between you offering something in faith because God told you to do it and the difference between a human just saying, "My my my thoughts, my just I've been thinking about it. My intuition tells me this would be a good offering to God." It's a big difference. God is not asking you to come up with your best idea. Listen to the Spirit of God. Live a life from what He tells you. And He gives you that faith that you can do it. That He's giving you the power to do it. And you do it completely saying, I'm not doing this on my own. Everything good came from you. So this offering really starts with you and it's done through you and it'll end with you. And that's an offering of faith. But if you just say, what can I do for God? And you just come up with something, you'll usually get it wrong. Cain looks around and says, what? Eh, what do I got? Abel seeks the Lord. Says, what am I supposed to give? Cain just comes up with a good idea. They probably didn't have a good grasp on the fact that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. They might not have known that God was taking that as a symbol of what Jesus would do. But none of us know it all. That's why you have to ask God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you want your life to be an offering and a sacrifice of worship, ask Him what you're supposed to do. What do you want from me, God? (laughs) Because when He tells you what He wants, not only is it the right thing, but the moment the voice of God is spoken, there's the power and the grace to do it. He says, okay, I want you to take care of that, Pers- that, that little kid whose parents have just been so you know, messed up and broken that that kid's going to be taken away from them. Social services coming to take them away. And I know you have your hands full, but I'm telling you, take that child in. And because God told you, if you had thought of it on your own, might not have worked. But because the Lord put it in your heart, all of a sudden you can be assured that the finances you need will be there, that the love you need to, to bear through this kid's issues that he has will be there, that the, that the strength will be there, the grace will be there, that because He told you to do it, He is supplying everything you need to get it done. That that offering was fully paid for by Jesus. He pays for His own offerings. When we do anything with our life for Him, it's His idea, and it's on His bill. He's prepared it for you. He's laid it out for you, and now you just walk in it, and you trust Him. And you'll always stay in an attitude of faith. And faith says, this isn't me, this is you. Every good thing out of your life, you've got to know, came from Him. And it'll keep going, it'll keep being good, because it's done through Him. Amen? What an offering and a sacrifice of worship. What a sacrifice He's asking of us. As living stones... That they'd be made acceptable through Jesus Christ. Your offering is in faith, is by faith. You're giving him these things. By faith you offer up your life. And the Bible says, my righteous one. Get it? My righteous one. The one that's made righteous by me will live by faith. Will live by faith. That's what we have. We've been given that. We hear the voice of God. We see His words right here. And He's telling you, listen, your life is a a song, is is an act of worship. It is, as as the Bible says about Jesus, it says the life He lived, He lived to God. He lived it straight to Him. I know for nobody else but to God. It was just, it was as we sing, as many songs or poets have written, It was for an audience of one. Your life is only for one person. It's for God. Now, because it's for him, it'll end up being very pleasing to other people because the Bible says, because he died for you, you no longer live for yourself. It says, says, therefore, regard others as more important than yourself. So it, it would seem that you're doing things for other people, but he says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's how we live life is worship. I want to make this as simple as we can. Worship is not, uh, living your life as worship is not some weird, deep theological thought. It is very simple. And it goes back to that last verse in in chapter 11. It goes back to why are you doing what what you're doing? Why did you start doing that? Who told you to do that? Because, guys, Cain may have thought this was a good offer. But he came up with it. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it his idea? Now, there are a lot of things where you you don't even have to ask. I mean, he says, if your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. He's already told you what to do. You don't have to ask him every time your enemy's thirsty what you're supposed to do. He told you already. When, when, When it comes time, there are certain things you don't have to just say, let me pray about it. It sounds spiritual. It sounds spiritual for you to say that, but he's already told you this is what you do in every circumstance. Don't take revenge. In every circumstance, be generous. Be hospitable. There's no, there's no time where that's not applicable. So you don't have to say, let me pray about it. Let's pray about whether we bomb them or whether we forgive them. Now, I'm not talking about nations. I'm talking about you personally. So the bomb is a metaphor. Hopefully, it's a metaphor, guys, <laughs> that you guys don't have like a bomb in your backyard. So this is a metaphor for how you treat people, how you respond to people. It says, Okay. There's no, there's no, I have to go and pray about it. There is a very simple word from God. This is always true. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what about, what about what you're going to give in the offering? Where does that come from? Who tells you? He does. He tells you what you're going to give. What about, what about, um, you know, the gifts that are working in you? What about how you're going to be a part of the great body of Christ? You know, the, I mean, he, t- he, he begins to draw things out of you. He begins to show you things. And, and you respond to those things. And you don't have to be everything. You just have to be what he made you to be. And that's worship. Worship is not a competition. Worship is not, it, it, you don't compare yourself to anybody else. Worship is only for him. So your worship is you doing what he made you to do. He considers it worship. And you always say, you always do it by faith. By faith, I say, okay, my life, I didn't come up with this. My life is yours, and I know that you've put in me the the ability and the the desire to do this, and I know it's from you, and so I'm going to do it in your strength. You're going to have to do it through me, but I know that good things are going to come out of this. And when they do, I give glory to you, because I know I didn't start it, I didn't finish it, it was you. This really makes me think of everything in life. It makes me look at my life and every day realizing that the song never stops. The worship never ends. That there's not one part of your life that's worship and another part that's work. That when you're at work, worship God in your work. How do I worship God with my work? You do it as unto the Lord. You respond to His goodness. How you treat people. How you react to them. How you demonstrate the love of God. This is all worship. What you say with your mouth. What does the Bible say? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. Okay, so what I say and what I meditate on. Right? Because Meditations of my heart means I might not have said it out loud. Meditation typically means to mutter to oneself. But when we're talking about meditations of your heart, it's stuff you're mulling around and letting sit around for a while. Okay, so I, as as David said, I put a guard over my mouth. I watch what I say, I watch, and I'm not saying legalistically, I'm saying in in, in a a new covenant spirit of God way, worship God with everything you say and everything you think and everything you do, and you will have thoughts that aren't from God, and they won't be worshipful thoughts, you don't meditate on those, you just move on, right. right? You don't stay on them. Or even better, you respond with your words, like Jesus did when he had a thought that wasn't from God, which we call the temptation of Jesus. What did he do? He said, By the word of God, he responded with his words. I learned a long time, not a long time ago, I learned it a long time ago and didn't really get it until just recently. But you can't fight thoughts with thoughts. So many times I had weird I have thoughts that I knew weren't from God about you know, a good idea or a bad idea. i knew was like, oh, that's stupid. And I'd say, no, and just inside my head, I'd be rebuking Satan. I'd be rebuking Satan just without opening my mouth until it dawned on me. Satan's not a mind reader. He has no idea what you're saying right now. <laughs> he can't read your thoughts. But he can hear your words. That's why Jesus didn't telep- tele- telepathically, that's the word I'm looking for, telepathically communicate with the devil. He spoke to him. And he didn't speak nicely to him. No. He spoke firmly. In one case, he just told him to shut up. But in, in, the, in the temptation in the 40 years in the wilderness, he, or 40 years, my goodness, 40 days in the wilderness, he responded with the word of God. Shut him up. Addressed it right at its root. And thank God that same spirit that was in Jesus is in you. Amen. What, what a life of worship we could leave, lead. When we respond to the mercy of God, nothing ever starts with us. He has ordained praise. We respond in faith. Faith has to start with the word of God. So you say, God, what do you want? What do you, what, what do you put me here to do? What, what's my life for? And then you just live your life like the most beautiful song to God. You live, you live your life like the, the, the most wonderful song. Uh, wonderful letter you could ever write you live your life as a testimony and a testament to the goodness of God and a response to the love of God and you just do what he tells you to do and you don't stop doing it for the right reasons and don't get sidetracked by any other thing don't get sidetracked by money don't get sidetracked by time issues don't get sidetracked by entertainment just stay on course and worship 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 how silly would it look? If in the middle of this time of praise and worship before the service we put the just threw our instruments down and started started playing a video game, started, you know, checking our cell phones for sports scores. Wouldn't that be silly? You'd say, Why are you interrupting the time of worship for something so stupid? Well, does that mean you can't ever watch sports? No, of course not. You watch sports. You can have fun and go do things. As long as you know that when it's time to do what he says, you're ready to do it and nothing else takes first place. Worship is, in essence, putting God back at the top of everything and keeping him there. Just keeping him there, that's the fear of the Lord, is making his opinion m- more valuable than everybody else's opinion. What would life look like if every moment? of the day was worship every moment of every day was an act of worship it's pretty much spelled out in chapter 12 but there's so much more to it that couldn't be written how will you respond to that let's let's not make the mistake of cain come up with our own way of worshiping god let's respond to how he says to worship him because jesus said to the woman at the well said to the Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman, Samaritans, as you might know, were an offshoot of Jews. They started as Jews. They got their religion very messed up. They were kind of a cult. <laughs> they were close enough that they still worshipped Yahweh, but there were some things that got way off track. They thought it all came down to where we worship God, this mountain or, or, or the mountain here in Jerusalem. They thought that was the the core of the issue, but there was so much more to it than that. And Jesus talks to this lady, and she says, let me... She didn't say this, but kind of like settle a bit for me. She she said, you guys worship at that mountain. We worship at this mountain. You know, who's right? You know, maybe those are some of our differences. And Jesus, without saying it so clearly, basically says, the Jews are right. (laughs) He says, you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. He says... Now they're right. Salvation comes from the Jews. They they got it. But the problem was the Pharisees had good doctrine, but didn't have any of the spirit in it, didn't have any life in it. And when the Messiah that they knew so well came, they didn't recognize him. So the Jews might have been right technically, but there was no spirit. There was no life in it. There was just, just legalistic, just truth. But it wasn't truth, truth. It was just correct doctrine without the the core of it without the heart of it and he says you know what they've got it right he says but there's a time coming when my people will worship in spirit and in truth so where's the truth come from where's the truth come from well it comes from him he's the one that's going to tell you this is how i want you to do it this is what i want from you you've just got to respond to that Jesus will tell you. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you. He is the Spirit of truth that will lead you in all truth. If you're being led by the Spirit, you'll not only be right technically, but you'll have the life in it that's required, that you'll be worshiping with spirit and in truth, and there your life will be lived as a song to God that's more beautiful than anything else could write. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful?